how you been man anyway we're not recording well we are recording but this is just like yeah i've been all right i'm actually well not just yet but i'm very very looking for for my sort of sabbatical if you can call it like that i have two assignments on till wednesday so i'm done with those i'm done with uni and uh, i'm currently in a sort of mini resort here in Lithuania. It's called Shventor. It's like near to the seaside. So I'm just uh, isolating myself in a way, just staying alone, you know, trying to uh, work on my things, read a little, just do exercise. So yeah, pretty interesting. Hey everyone, and welcome to episode number 36 of The Third Wheel. I'm one of your hosts, Aaron Conway. And I'm your other host, Hamish Lakme. And today we are joined by, actually Jonas, I forgot to ask you beforehand, like how do I pronounce your surname? Oh, it's... uh... It's Bartasius. If you if you follow Lithuanian pronunciation, it's Bartasius. But like you can call me Bartasius, just like as you read it. Yeah, no problem. Yeah, I'll go, I'll go for the Bartasius. <laughs> uh, we're joined by Jonas Bartasius, and yeah, would you like to introduce yourself a bit? Yeah, sure. So yeah, I'm uh, I'm Jonas or Jonas, uh, as my mom calls me. Actually, 22 years old now, just about to graduate from Warwick Business School in Accounting and Finance. I think I uh, I've done a few entrepreneurial things, worked in some startups. Yeah, quite a bit of. Uh, interesting background in in different fields and at the same time um, I would call myself a hard worker because my friends call me like that so I think I can explain that a little bit more detail you know yeah do you uh, remember like the first time so this is the first time Jonas and Hamish have met Um, but we've we've only met like a handful of times really yes do you remember the first time yeah I think I do I know that it was uh, Unihack I think that's where that's where we uh, yeah, where we yeah. met first time. It was the hackathon that has been organized by Unihack team. I don't remember who were the organizers exactly, but yeah, I think work Kickstart and work entrepreneurs were making a sort of event at the university a hackathon, you know, and like I think it was one of the first ones, so I was really excited to go to. And uh, what I also remember the day before that, I had a WBS ball which was a, uh, a crazy one for me. So when I came in, I, I think I came in a bit late. <laughs> I also drank like, I don't know, maybe 10 Red Bulls and I was, yeah, barely sort of surviving. But yeah, it was super fun. And I met actually Aaron, Edward and Ali, I think as well. So everybody from Fritchiba. Yeah, yeah, apart from Avantika. So yes. me and yeah. Ed, who was Eduardo Barb, who was one of, I think it was episode 30. One of our previous guests, me and him gave just like a little talk, like intro to web dev at this hackathon. And that's where I remember seeing Jonas for the first time. Yeah, like long hair at the time. Yes, I, I did. Yeah. Oh, my days. I have all those pictures, you know, yeah. hidden from my profile, actually. <laughs> <laughs> I thought it looked good at the time, you know. <laughs> yeah, um, that's what I was thinking as well. But when I look back now, I'm like, oof. <laughs> Yeah, I've gone through that phase. Hamish is going through that phase right now. But, uh, yeah, the hackathon was cool. You met like some of us. So I guess it's kind of just the startup space. We all kind of, yeah, well, me and you anyway met each other. So yeah, that was a hackathon. Did you do much startup like stuff at university? After that year, actually, I became a president of uh, Kickstart. So uh, we were doing quite a few things in service and tech field, venture capital, fintech digital marketing social impact so uh, we grew the society quite a bit like we got some interesting people to come and uh, give presentations you know and yeah it was uh, it was very interesting and then actually i met my first time co-founder jack who we started a startup with which was called student lease in a nutshell we were 
basically trying to combine VR and chatbots to allow students to rent accommodation without really actually having to visit the flat. So especially for international students, you know, when they're abroad, they're not in the UK just yet. So they can jump on a VR tour that is basically guided by a chatbot that can answer the basic questions for you. It didn't work out too well. We actually got accepted to Reload Greece. <laughs> and interesting was because we didn't really have anything <laughs> anything in common with Greece. It was just that we got into it. So, um, but it was a very good experience. You know, it was the first time I actually pitched to to investors when after like ten weeks of accelerator, I think. But yeah, it was very interesting. And you know, since then, I well, I, I had some you know sort of uh, ventures before that. You know, if you take selling fireworks at school and uh, and selling flowers as. Uh, sort of startups as well, startup ideas, you know, when I was in a a middle school, actually. So yeah, I started with that and moved to uh, Kickstart and Student Lease. And now, you know, uh, I had some experience working in startup that in crypto food tech. And now I'm sort of looking into launching my own. So yeah, like everything is about actually startups for me. I was just curious too, because there's two ways we could probably go about this, but I'll start with how was it like, like what, what got you into like that startup like what got you into trying to go for a startup if that makes sense like you joined an actus but like what drove you to get there i think it was uh i had a one sort of uh groundbreaking moment so when i was in 11th grade there is a thing called junior achievement it's basically a u.s program that is being taught in schools in in high schools actually where it's a sort of course combined with economics and entrepreneurship so like starting your own business and what you can do is create a student company which is uh, which you can issue sort of shares and it's like a special sort of purpose uh, legal setup you know that you can enter in and you can sell things and you can produce things and all that sort of stuff and um I got really excited, you know, because I had those like all those things before, you know, selling something. So basically buying something cheaper, selling more expensively, all that sort of stuff. So it was like in, in that sort of business uh, mindset, I guess, since very young age. And then uh, with some friends of mine in the high school, we uh, we thought of, okay, what, what could we do? So we thought of like creating a sort of plugin that doesn't really allow you to send out, send out messages that are not correctly written in Lithuanian language to your friends basically enforcing people to write correctly in Lithuanian because like it's quite the language itself is quite difficult and uh, I think we're gonna jump on the language topic later on and I can explain a little bit more you know why it's difficult uh, and why that idea maybe sounded quite great and yeah like you know when we started doing that with my friend Adomas uh, we actually met Inas uh, Martinez Grigon is a very cool guy. He was working on Nubaps. And Nubaps was a, a sort of very small web slash app development agency that was fully fully led by students. Like students, I mean high school students, right? He was like, should we merge our sort of uh, teams together, you know, and try to get into the European competition? So, um, yeah, and that's what we did, actually. We combined the teams together and then we went for, we won the, the regional prize, then we went to the national prize and then we got the national prize and basically been sent to Germany, to Berlin, to represent Lithuania as a uh, student company in a sort of worldwide competition for junior achievement and um that was like i i couldn't thank more actually martinez you know maybe i didn't tell him that personally you know but like every time i think you know why i'm in startups i think that was the reason that was sort of a like a conference right like when where everybody has their booths and you know the jury goes around and asks you different questions you know and sometimes they're like spy jury members you know that you you don't really know that they are jury but like they are and then they 
evaluate you, they inv- uh, they ask you to pitch you the idea, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. Uh, so we went for that. Like, unfortunately, we didn't win everything, uh, anything. But what what I remember the best was it was like the gala dinner, right? And then like, okay, this is uh, you know the the big event. You know, now we're gonna learn who won the first prize, the second prize, the third prize, and other like prizes that have been given by other partners of the Junior Shima, etc. And the first place uh, goes to a German company, right? That basically created beer bottle openers from from car seat uh, seat belts. So literally taking, you know, the the metal thing of the of the seat belt, you know, putting it on a uh, wooden sort of stick. Yeah, like creating sort of different versions of it, like even selling sets of those to people. And you know, they were making like thousands of euros a month through sales, and they were their costs were like super minimum because it was all waste, you know, from taken from scrap cars and stuff like that yeah scrap cars yeah yeah and they won the first place and then like okay runner up you know who's a runner up and i'm not sure if that was israeli actually but it was a guy who was 14 years old i was 16 uh, by then it was a guy 14 years old who won the second place and what he basically created was a sort of a strap-on for parents to to be able to hold their children on the shoulders and protect them from falling off their shoulders you know so you sort of attach their uh, legs to yourself uh, just to make it more safer and that was the moment when i thought like oh my days like this guy 14 years old you know in a uh, international competition won the second place what i have done and then I was like, okay, this is, you know, like I really loved what I was doing. I was, I was, I was in love with it, you know, working with a team. Like I'm always was a team player, never an individual one. I hate doing things individually because I think I'm just too stupid for it. <laughs> and, uh, you know, when you're doing something with the team, you know, you're working on a project, you know, you know, you have one vision, one mission, you know, you're going for it. It's much more interesting. And that's how basically uh, I knew that, okay, uh, that's who I'm going to be, I guess. <laughs> yeah, I just want to take it back a bit like all that sounds incredibly young yes like how young you started like if i imagine myself in school i was nowhere near creating like a startup or creating (laughs) anything i was still like trying to learn maths and (laughs) everything like even you said earlier like you were selling fireworks at school (laughs) and like flowers yes like how how did that start and come about yeah, it was, it was an interesting because in one. my school we're selling donuts and cookies. Like kids in like the school hall will be like buying donuts from Tesco and then okay. selling them for like double the price and then getting like suspended. <laughs> by the yeah. yeah, well, uh, in Lithuania, there was... seems like another level. <laughs> yeah, there there were no uh, no one really got hurt, <laughs> so that's good. You know, you knew there are all sort of people that are selling fireworks. You know, so they uh, either imported from somewhere uh, from Russia or uh, I don't know Ukraine. You know, and then they sell it cheaper to sort of kids. So it was a uh, very interesting one. So you know, I knew where to go to <laughs> pick it up. Uh, and I knew who wanted those. So, uh, you know, that was a fair deal, I guess. So I took the risk. And, so are you uh, selling it to other school kids? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, friends of mine. Uh, but yeah, like it was, uh, it didn't run for a long time. Quite quickly, I got, I decided to close it down. <laughs> Did you get in trouble or you just went on to bigger and better things? <laughs> I wasn't really a big fan of it because uh, I wasn't a fan of fireworks my f- myself. It was just uh, all about money, you know. <laughs> and, uh, I got money, I go buy sweets and candies and all that sort of stuff. And crisps, most importantly. I was quite a chubby one when I was back in high school, in uh, in middle school. And uh, I liked eating, so I uh, had to make some money. <laughs> <laughs> 
how often did people buy fireworks and what what kind of fireworks are we talking here like we used to call them corsarki it's like a matchbox fireworks you know are they cool are they like fun snaps you throw them at the floor and they pop or are they yeah yeah, 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 yeah. like very very just like for the sound right like you throw it somewhere and then it pops and it gives you a sound. <laughs> you know, that's uh, one of the ways how to pick up girls in Eastern Europe, 101, right? <laughs> 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 yeah, or buy them presents like chocolates and chocolate flowers. Or uh, I even once actually bought a... <laughs> Jesus Christ. Oh my days, I'm opening so much here. Okay. Um, <laughs> it's probably one of the okay. most embarrassing moments of my life where... Um, <laughs> Where my friend and myself, we were very in love with two girls in middle school and they were like two or three years, no, maybe three or four years older than us. And we're like, okay, what should we do? So we went to the big shopping center, you know, uh, save some dollar dollar. And we went to a sort of, what's that, like piercing shop, I don't know. Uh, like everywhere you can get like jewelry ish for not for a high price and we're like okay what should we buy and we're like looking around we're looking around and then we found <laughs> sort of like made out of glass or i don't know what actually it was made out of uh, but it looked like a diamond you know and in a big box and we looked at each other and we're like we should get that <laughs> <laughs> and we did we both got the same present <laughs> so two do big diamonds like you know big as a fist yeah <laughs> we paid like quite a bit of money for it as well actually and then we went to see those two girls and um, we gave it to them and they were just yeah it was very cringe it was super super cringe do they uh, do they like it uh, yeah i guess <laughs> i don't know actually i think not like we didn't really speak after that much <laughs> <laughs> all that all that money all that time spent selling fireworks so you can buy some diamonds <laughs> yeah start of oh, my god. life right <laughs> oh god you do not you don't just pop fireworks all year round like how did that work oh anytime basically it was just like for the sound right and uh, you get like super super cheap and then uh guys when they come to school you know their mom Give them some money to eat lunch. Uh, they just eat less and buy fireworks. <laughs> <laughs> That's, uh, that sounds just bizarre. Like I couldn't imagine <laughs> that here. If that was a gap in the market. <laughs> yeah, exactly. You know, uh, I identify a problem, you know, that there was like, I think age restriction. Maybe it wasn't at that moment, actually. Because like in Lithuania, we became independent only in 1997. Don't quote me on that. <laughs> but... Uh, <laughs> There was no much legislation and like sort of sort of rules in place. And you know, if you look back in the history, you know, then 1997 to 2000, let's say two and four, like it was mafia times in in Lithuania. Everyone was doing like whatever they wanted. It was like Wild West sort of vibe. It was a very interesting one, you know. And I was a child, and you know, so they sort of fixed the crime scene at the beginning. That's what they focused on, and you know, they they were not there were no so, sort of special regulations when it comes to things like fireworks and all that sort of stuff you know because they no, no one was really considerate about that too much but then you know when we actually got into uh european union it was 2004 or 6 i don't yeah again like i'm very bad with dates uh i know the <laughs> con i know the context but not the precise <laughs> precise time uh but yeah i think that's when it started um to uh, be more sort of strict and you know things start getting more serious but yeah i can imagine like if you are as you said you were what like 16 years old and you're at these like awards events yeah. like with a startup how much that can probably influence you 
at that young age and like kind of affect affect you and make you kind of like yeah this is this is what i want to go into and that was with a startup called Nubaps. you said that. yes yeah Nubaps. <laughs> okay one you also mentioned earlier was student lease yes so that was one you made while you're at warwick yes yeah it was end of the first year oh no so i became a president at the end of the first year right yes because then mm-hmm. that's when you elect people right and then i met jack as he it was a funny story as well, actually. Uh, you know, we were searching for tech people for a startup and tech division uh, at Work Kickstart. And we posted that sort of ad somewhere in like groups. And uh, one day we receive a, an application, you know, from a master's student from computer science department that's doing uh, neuro something cryptography. And we were like, what is this? <laughs> so, yeah, so we, uh, we arranged a meeting with him next day. And I was like, Jack, you probably are aware that, you know, we don't really have any questions, you know, <laughs> if you if you are a good fit, you know, to join us, but what would you like to do? And what he said is like consult startups. And then uh, the interview sort of, and like get to know each other lasted for maybe 15 to 20 minutes. You know, we had discussions about it, like uh, what we did for Kickstarter, you know, what his role could, could entail. And then when he said about startups, I sort of mentioned to him, I was like, hey, I have an idea. And no, and that twenty-minute conversation became a four-hour chat. Actually, uh, at at Costa, I think it was classic. Yeah, and we were like, uh, after that, we shook hands and we became co-founders. And uh, actually, now we're best friends and we're working on some stuff as well. Awesome. So, what is uh, Student Lease like? The idea? I, th- I know you mentioned it briefly before, but yeah. So uh, the concept was, you know, we identified the problem that that I personally had as an international student. Well international as a eu student and uh, i checked with some of my friends you know they they had the same that it's very difficult to uh, get a place in the uk before coming to the university right because you don't really know uh, how the place looks like you don't really know what to do etc etc so like the whole the whole process of getting an accommodation was quite difficult and for those that just turned 18 and you know just graduated from high school and they need now to find a flat and pay for all of the uh, bills and everything it was just like a, a disaster right because and yeah we, we we looked at that and we're like okay so what we, what we could do and we we were very interested in the virtual reality uh, technology and uh, jack was working in one of a sort of agencies i don't know how to call it like a development house maybe in lemington as like part-time uh, developer and he was building chatbot and we combined those two things together so our goal was to find a, a landlord go to his place basically put a sort of camera that can do 360 pictures and put that environment into vr and uh, put that picture into vr environment and allow you to browse through it you know and at the same time uh, have a chat with a chatbot we got as far as building a presentation <laughs> no technology actually you know <laughs> it was uh, yeah we were super visionary uh we got we got another three team members to join the team and you know all of that internship stuff that when you go to a first year student and tell him like look i have a startup idea it's gonna be groundbreaking you know we're gonna be a multi-million business in like next few years what I'm offering you now is an internship at our student lease limited company for a certain period of time and just work for me for free, mate. <laughs> that's, that's how it worked. I guess what made you kind of stop 
doing it, working on it? We did it for a year. And um, I've realized that Kickstart and with uh, soon least that I've reached the ceiling, if you can, like, if you can call it the ceiling. And what I mean is, I was just, I just wasn't really capable of running a team. You know, at Kickstarter, we had a team of 25 people, I think, and then student leads. And, and then I was working sort of nearly full time and then university. And it was just a mm. few things too much for me. And at the same time, I realized that I might be not the biggest fan of the university. I think I realized that in the first year, but still continue. Okay. And um, my goal was to, okay, how can I escape this in a way? And the escape for me was a placement year. Like uh, for my course for ENF, uh, I could have I could have choose a either a three year course or a four year course. What was the course you did? Accounting and finance. And you know, at the end of the second year, you can make the decision either you the next year you go well you enroll in your third year and you finish university. Or you can either get a placement or go for a university exchange. And I decided, I was like, okay, university, well, no thanks. And work, you know, I love working. I was thinking that it's like an amazing opportunity. So um, I started searching for an, for a placement opportunity. I've sent out, I don't know how many applications, like it's, it's, it's jokes how many, like 30, 40, maybe to banks and everything. You know, I was thinking of being investment banker in a way, you know, it's like, okay, like this is the probably easy way to get, to earn money and, you know, to ensure that my personal finance is fixed, you know, and I can help my family and all that sort of stuff. And then I realized that no one really wanted me and I wasn't a fan of IB either. I just have no clue still probably what it is. Uh, you know, just have the very surface knowledge. And I applied for IBM and IBM had placement program, 12 month program for business operations. And I, uh, it was the first assessment center I ever done, I think, or maybe I did UPS as well. But yeah, it was um, assessment center in uh, IBM's office. They said I passed it and they had to match me with uh, a certain role within their business, right? So they sort of have my profile. So in IBM, when you go for a placement and you go through the assessment center, it's not that you are 100% guaranteed a place. They basically want to find a fit for you within their business operations around the UK in general. So yeah, so I went through, they're like, okay, so we don't really have anything in London and we have a, there is a position in Edinburgh. And I was like, Edinburgh. I was like, are you sure? Edinburgh. I was like, I asked for London. I was like, can you maybe get me a London position? They're like, nah, sorry. Like there's nothing really uh, on the market now. And I was like, okay. So I was like, oof, okay, I have another three or four days to submit my application for a placement year, right? So nothing really uh, promising from IBM. And if I don't submit it in four days, I will have to go to the university next year. I was like, no way this is happening. So what I did is I contacted two startups in Lithuania. Both of them were in crypto sector. I was uh, trading a little bit of crypto and like, you know, we had a sort of our crypto club a crypto breakfast club that we used to go out uh, every now and then at the university, you know, for a <laughs> breakfast dish. I discussed like crypto and IPO, uh, ICOs and all, all that sort of stuff. Like, yeah, it was super fun. And I've sent two applications. I think it was on Sunday. On Monday, I got a reply from both of them. Then, so I had the first interview. I had the second interview with the CEO. And in like two days, I basically got a place. So filled in the documents, submitted it, sent it to university, and they're like, yeah, you can go. So yeah, and then I was like, okay, I know that this is done. And Jack, at the same time, 
got an offer from Everledger, and Everledger was one of the partners of Warwick Kickstart. It's a private blockchain company that basically tracks, well, it helps you, like, is a private blockchain for supply chain for diamonds, fine arts, wine, uh, and all that sort of stuff. So he's like a cryptographer himself. And he got a, an offer from them, so he joined them for the next year, and I was going for my placement, so like, yeah, let's just just shut it down. You didn't want to go Scotland that much. <laughs> yeah, I was like... You know, because the plan was, you know, why London? It was because it's the sort of startup yeah, yeah. hub, right? And I was like, oh, my days going to London, saying that I work at IBM, meeting all those people, you know, it like still the goal was to, in some sort of way, look into that sort of innovation field rather than like some business ops or sales or whatever else. No, that's cool. I don't know if you want to touch on crypto a bit. That could be an interesting topic. I don't know much about crypto like at all, other than we did it a bit in one module in computer science, like blockchain and stuff like that. Okay. But I guess if you could, I know, describe it broadly for like dummies like myself, <laughs> what kind of is it? So basically there are different blockchains, right? So we have first generation blockchain, which is Bitcoin, right? And it's a proof of work blockchain that basically means that whatever you mine, so for you to get certain gain from executing certain operations, so basically mining the Bitcoin, you have to use your computing power to solve certain, let's say, mathematical problems to mine that coin, right? And uh, so proof of work concept means that, you know, if a certain transaction is confirmed by mining a block, that means that this transaction has been valid, right? And this is probably the most cumbersome blockchain and that requires the most of the resources when it comes to electricity and computing power and all that sort of stuff, right? And then we have an Ethereum, Ethereum blockchain, which is the second generation, where we have smart contracts. And smart contracts are basically a contract that executes itself on a automatic basis if certain triggers are being triggered, right? So let's say if we agree that I'll do this and I do that, uh, you basically have to pay me a certain amount of money. And then there are third generation blockchains that are like uh, scalable quicker and all that sort of stuff right so this is the technology that basically allows you to create cryptocurrency and cryptocurrency in a nutshell defines some sort of utility utility in terms of can you do something with the coin that you couldn't do that without it right all of the utility cases most of the utility cases that icos and crypto projects have presented are not working only there are maybe a handful of projects that are really providing some utility some some of them are i think it's called golem what you do basically is if there is a certain storage on your laptop or like if you have any uh, excessive computer power that you're not using you can sort of sell it and monetize that through their platform and being paid in crypto for that excessive thing so yeah so it's all about utility you know if the coin provides utility and utility can be like a future value that you can get from it and that's what the ico is based on saying that hey we have this amazing project that will be worth that we're gonna do this amazing thing you know we have hype and there is interest in the market we are issuing a certain amount of tokens so please send uh, let's say 10 dollars to this to this wallet address and then you will get a certain amount of tokens back for it which basically means that when the project is running you bought it like super cheaply so that future value will be much higher for what you have just paid and uh yeah that was probably supposed to be how it should have worked but it didn't and crypto in general is a is a field where 
what we see now, well, when the ICOs were happening, it was like pump and dump strategy. Basically, where uh, when you start a project, you know, you get like crazy advisors. You try to get investors, you know, from venture capital firms that are backing um, the greatest crypto companies. And, you know, in 2018, it was 2017, 2018, it was super crazy, you know, how the things were going. So, you know, you start your ICO, your price goes like 20x, maybe 50x in like a period of a week and then you just dump it and take the cash and then you see how the crypto value just over the time drops to like nothing basically so yeah so that's how it started and that's how it was now no icos actually are happening like at least i haven't heard uh, about any significant ones in the field for i know for the past year maybe maybe telegrams one was a uh, was an interesting one but they didn't really they didn't really continue with that because i think the sec closed down the deal because of some reason i'm, I'm not too familiar with the case but i just yeah. know that it didn't happen so yeah you know and then so in the crypto you know what was interesting that lucky blockchain uh investment currencies you know like all those things you know technology plus finance i was like okay this is this is super cool and what i found out when i was doing my internship at monifa that crypto company that i worked for at the beginning was another level of let's say use of crypto and blockchain in general which is security tokens and security tokens are basically tokens that are not backed by utility but they're backed by a real asset there's like even more that, like there is real value behind the coin you know it's not that okay so with this coin you will be able to execute xyz you know and if the platform is not there you can't really do that with a utility coin with security tokens is like if you have your room right and you want to or let's say uh, there is a real estate development going on and you want to raise capital for that estate uh, what you do is basically you create a special purpose vehicle which will have thousand shares for the special purpose vehicle and the building has 1,000 uh, square meters space for it, right? And then you do the valuation of the building, and the SPV values uh, value becomes the value of the building. Meaning, if you buy one share of the SPV, you basically own one quadratic meter, one square meter, sorry, of the building. So uh, it basically just allows you to divide and distribute assets that are not, that you can't really split apart. So real estate, it can be, yeah, I think, I, I knew quite a few other cases, but yeah, I can't remember just now. But um yeah, so it was like much, much crazier thing, you know, like different financial instruments could have been created, right? So, for example, if we take New York, Uptown and Downtown, right? If all of the real estate in Uptown and Downtown are tokenized, right? Like basically there is a token created for each of the buildings in Uptown and Downtown, or let's say a handful of buildings. What you can do is actually create a financial instrument, which you could uh, short or long based on the potential value you see potential prediction that you have about that uh, real estate so if you think that uptown gonna increase in prices right because of whatever it is you can actually long that position on the real estate and then gain uh, like get money for it so uh, it was like a crazy crazy idea you know i even had to uh, i had the chance to travel to switzerland to meet with some security issuance house people you know were like doing some crazy stuff and then uh, unfortunately it got shut but uh yeah it was very very interesting and uh unfortunately like, i'm not sure if there is much progress now in the field but at that moment was the the very very hot topic yeah i mean like crypto was definitely like a buzzword around that time is that something you quite like the fintech 
industry like combining both of finance and tech yeah that was i felt for the first time that i can maybe apply something that i've learned at school well at, at university together with some real life experience you know and that that seemed exciting but uh, i re- i learned quite quickly that not much <laughs> could have been combined and then also so part of your reasoning for doing this placement you, you said was you were just starting not to like warwick university i guess university as a whole okay why how come i think i did a mistake when choosing my program and that mistake was you know like all of the things are very like at one moment in my life i was thinking you know why do i do certain things and i realized that everything is connected you know there are so many dots in our lives and our heads you know whatever we think or what whatever we learn and you know at some point they start connecting and um when i was applying for warwick i think it was my fourth option I guess I actually chose accounting and finance and I chose it for one particular reason over uh, more scores or uh, data science. I don't remember which one of those was my favorite one because I wanted to do something like with programming because I did some at school, high school. And I, I, I liked maths and econ and stats. And then I went for accounting and finance. Yeah, was a bit no brainer. But yeah, like the reason behind that was for Bath work. I think Lancaster, uh, maybe. Yeah, I don't know what uh, other universities were there. What they actually, EY provided a scholarship for students from those universities that are doing accounting and finance to get £5,000 every year and get an internship for spring and internship for summer or a placement. Yeah, a placement, I think. It wasn't summer. Yeah, yeah, a placement at EY for a year. And after that, also get full-time offer, basically. So if I thought that, okay, if I get this, all of my financial struggles will be uh, sorted, you know, and I will be, uh, I won't have to work in like a restaurant or as a bartender or whatever. So I thought that, okay, this is my shot. And I actually, I think I passed the first stage which was application <laughs> and the second stage was uh, tests yeah i think the language tests tests kind of uh, failed me well i failed them i guess because when i came my english was terrible like oh my days you know i was lucky that i was living <laughs> with uh with quite a few british people in dorms so i've, I've picked it up from them i guess the accent and well accent in a way like better accent you know I'll not say, that your English strong is really good oh yeah thank you <laughs> i appreciate that you know i was uh i was sort of separating myself from uh lithuanians because it was very comfortable to speak with them in lithuanian so i didn't really have any lithuanian friends actually in, in, in the work as i wanted to try to get as much international as possible if that's yeah. a term <laughs> i guess that's that's a uh nice transition just before we do transition i actually when you're talking about like your degree and how you're kind of falling out of like university life that kind of rang a bell to me like i feel like i remembered you saying it so i just looked at our old facebook messages and then i can see one where you're like asking me about what i think of computer science and that you're thinking of switching over to uh, cs yes yeah uh, it was uh because you wanted to work with vr but um i think i basically told you yeah i didn't really do any vr in computer science (laughs) (laughs) so don't switch over for vr but yeah i guess as you just mentioned it now speaking lithuanian one of the things you told me was like like that's a language you know that's spoken by like how many people well there's no there's no exact number but we're speaking about like three three and a half million people in the world being able to speak lithuanian yeah so was there quite a large large amount of people from Lithuania at work? I think there was 
there was quite a few of us hidden that uh, were Lithuanians, but were not really participating much in like Lithuanian society and stuff. And, but yeah, the community grew quite extensively, I guess. Like at the very beginning when I came, I knew that there is such a thing as Lithuanian society. You know, I've met few Lithuanians over over the year, but it was nothing nothing too crazy. But I think when I came back in the second year, there was much more. Uh, the, the, there was the community grew grew like crazy and uh, not in the business department most of them went for chemistry bio biochemistry and all that sort of stuff so like bio study uh, so yeah so we didn't really have too much in common at the same time i don't know like I, I would say there was like 50 of us ish i guess at warwick so for university was that the first time you came to the UK? It was the second time, actually. Uh, the first time I came to the UK was... Uh, <laughs> oh, my days. This is... <laughs> this just describes me and, let's say, Lithuanian mindset uh, super well. So there is a saying in Lithuania that if you do IELTS test in the UK, it's easier than to do one at home in Lithuania. If you do what test? IELTS. International English... International English language test whatever yeah it's basically uh, one of the things that you need when you come from eu to the university to show your proficiency in english language because for example lithuanian high school diploma is not really convert convertible to ucas i think they have to like it's under other sort of <laughs> uh, <Okay>. label <laughs> yeah yeah, very interesting. So yeah, so they asked me for IELTS, and okay, I was like preparing for IELTS, and um, uh, you know because people said that in in England is easier to take an IELTS exam. So with some of my friends, we came over to the UK to see the IELTS exam, and then we flew back like in a period of like three days, and yeah, it turned out I got seven point five out of nine, which is I think was quite a good quite a good one. But my friends, some of them even failed it. They were like, oh, okay, just leave it there. <laughs> oh, they flew all the way to England just for that. Yeah, yeah, exactly, just exactly, exactly. We're like, yeah, well, you know, we wanted to sort of check it out as well, what uh, the UK is about. So we saw London and, but yeah, and then I came on 1st of October, actually, just at the very beginning of, I didn't, I was thinking that the freshers week is for international students. International students are overseas students. Like that myself being European doesn't count as international. And I missed those two weeks before university where everybody yeah. became friends and everything. And I came in, I was like, oh, my day is going to have crazy parties and, you know, meet all of those amazing people, uh, get friends. And I came and then like everybody was friends already. And I was like, hello. <laughs> <laughs> so I felt a little bit left out. Yeah. Well, what's, what's like Lithuania like? I've never been there. I don't hear about it much as like a popular, I guess, holiday destination. Um, <laughs> you should definitely it give like it a try to come. Maybe in comparison to UK. Sell it. Sell it to me. Sell it. If you want to see beautiful girls, <laughs> drink. Okay, say no more. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah, we're, uh, we're sort of like a small Berlin, if you can call it. Like, I think it might be a bit of a moonshot, but I think we're getting close to that. We're very artsy, especially our capital, Vilnius, is like, uh, is the center for design, arts, music, and all that sort of stuff. Like, you know, we, we really produce good stuff. You know, it's not internationally recognized yet, but uh, we're doing great stuff, you know, and the musicians and artists, like, they're crazy. Music, right? Like, we are quite, well, I guess, Every Eastern European country is into techno, and we're quite big in techno as well. We have quite a few clubs that are 
uh, recognized in the European club scenery. Also, we have quite a high level standard of living, actually, because um, people are educated. Basically, I, in Lithuania, everybody goes to university. Like We don't have the best universities. Our best university is top 500 in the world, I think. <laughs> but everybody goes to university. It's like a sort of Soviet parent mindset that your son or daughter has to go to university, you know, no questions asked. Also, it's not, well, it wasn't too expensive some time ago. Now, when I lived in capital for my placement year, actually, it wasn't that cheap, but it's, yeah, it's a, it's a good price point, you know, and you can earn a living here. And what is very interesting here. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. You know, like, so look, what what would you pay in London? Let's say 1,200 pounds per month for a studio flat, right? In some. Yeah, that's cheap. That's cheap. Yeah. Okay, so for that, you could get like a free bed apartment in the city center. So, uh, okay. yeah, yeah, it's uh, it's pretty nice. And what is very interesting here, that everybody is so equal. You feel that communistic vibe. You know, some of my friends came to visit me in Lithuania when I was on my placement, and they said, oh, my days, this place feels so sad. It's like you look at the people, you know, and they go, when they walk through the street, they're just like looking, looking down, you know, and everybody's sad. Like, uh, I'm, I don't know if that's the case exactly, but, you know, for them, it was the first impression. And that's what they that's what they brought from Lithuania. But what I meant by being sort of sort of communistic is that everybody feels so equal that if you are just a bit better. So, for example, me coming back from UK, having a like, you know, studying at UK university and being able to speak quite a good English that put me above like you know hundreds of people already, and I didn't ha- even have any skill. You know that only then my uh, qualities as like you know a team player, uh, you know had some projects of his own. You know did this and that. Only those uh, those things only came after. So you know so if you put a little bit more effort than everybody else and you're just a little bit better. You know if you work not uh, eight to five but you work eight to eight, you know you gonna uh, you're gonna make it. You're going to be quite successful here. Like, not successful as, like, you know, multimillionaire, but you will definitely live a decent life. Yeah, so one of the things I know is that Lithuania is often where people outsource, for example, developers to. So, and then, yeah, so, like, major corporations outsource there, so it's cheaper. The people working in Lithuania obviously have a good living off it. And then, yeah, so, like, they, they have, like, really good talent. And a lot of them, at least the ones I've spoken to, like, I've never had an issue with English. So, yeah, when you were saying earlier about the English thing, I'm like, I've never met a Lithuanian that's had English issues at all. So, you know, maybe that's just obviously my short or like my small meeting of the people from there. But yeah, like they're they're always like top notch. Yeah, I assume, you know, when you meet people, so they're already at that better percentile, you know, if I'm, you know what I mean? Like, yeah, yeah, I think I know what you mean. Because uh, those that are average, they just stay average, you know? They just earn a living and they die. And <laughs> that's, that's it, you know? Yeah, I met the best representatives, I guess. <laughs> 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 oh, man, uh, flattered. <laughs> yeah, you know... Uh, if any time I spoke to any Lithuanian and I needed something done or I, needed, I had some question, it was literally like... Do you know when you just ask someone and it gets done? Like... Th- that that never happens anywhere else but with Lithuanians that happens right <laughs> one thing I can like I love about Lithuanians that if if we need to get something well if they need to get something done they'll just get it done right away nice there's no real bullshit around it just get it done but yeah back to the thing 
What is the tech scene like in Lithuania and like the startup kind of culture? It is extremely, extremely growing, you know. Well, we don't really have any sort of, well, we have several VCs, but we're speaking about like 100 million invested over a year into startups. So it's like, you know, it's like a pre-seed, no, okay, series A round for one startup in a uh, in UK, <laughs> like so, it, it, it's it's crazy. Like, there's not much capital in terms of well, there's not many uh, VC firms, maybe, but there are there are more and more establishing and in different sectors: agriculture, renewable energy, lasers. That's what we're famous off internet. Like that's something. Yeah, just dropping down the buzzwords. <laughs> internet <laughs> lasers. <laughs> yeah, you know, and I think we just. A week or two ago, there was thousand startups created in Lithuania in general. Um, okay. So uh, yeah, that that's quite an achievement for us. This is a big number for a country that has like three million <laughs> uh, people yeah, yeah. in here. Uh, we just recently got our first unicorn, uh, which is Vinted. It's secondhand clothing app. Like basically, you can buy and sell secondhand yeah. clothing on it. Yeah, I think. And it, yeah, I know what you mean. Yeah, and it was. Uh, it's very big in. Um, in France, and I think it's growing in the UK. They have quite a bit of share in the UK as well. Do you actually quit your latest job? Yes. To pursue a startup? Is that in Lithuania? Or kind of, it's, at the moment, you're just working wherever you are? Yeah, yeah, yeah exactly. Uh, so we are not really based in Lithuania. I'm myself currently now here, but I will be moving to UK in September, I think. Yeah. Like if COVID, you know, won't affect that. Because I actually have an offer from Deloitte Ventures. They offered me to join their team in London. And yeah, you know, I thought that this could be a good timing for me to actually relax a little, think about things that I want to do, you know, actually do those projects that I was planning to go for for a long time. And, and yeah, so decided that, okay, maybe it's enough working for someone. Well, not working for someone, I guess more of like, Maybe I got a bit tired of the day-to-day that I had as a product manager. And then, you know, I realized that people are raising money, you know, they're pursuing their dreams and I'm a bit stuck. At Turing, I worked for a year and a half, maybe. And it was the longest employment I ever had. I never had such a long employment. The first few were like three to six months. And um, Turing was a very special and interesting place. It's like amazing people, you know, everybody of us were like under 25. I think our CTO and designer was 25, both of them, and everybody else like 22 to, to 16 even. So super young team, you know, but super lean and we uh, did some uh, cool stuff. But yeah, I think it was time for me to move on. You're doing some very interesting things at the moment. I can't really disclose them just yet. But, you know, definitely keep an eye on Turing Society and Turing Studio. That's where I work for. So it's like a big sort of parent company-ish. It has education and tech development branches separate. So they're really, really into education now. And they will be uh, dropping some bombs uh, in the field <laughs> in, 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 in the next few weeks i guess so yeah and yeah and regarding my my thing you know i think in the to come up to the moment where we have a website we tried four or five different ideas you know and uh, that's where i actually been using the design sprint methodology quite intensively and design sprint is a framework that uh, google ventures has created to basically identify a problem think of a solution prototype it and test it with users in five days it is phenomenal how good it works five days and 
yes it is it is it is amazing like certain exercises and tasks that you need to complete super time pressured and you don't even have to work like 20 hours a day i mean like it's usually six hours plus one and a half hour break so eight hours in total per day of work to produce a prototype out of it it's pretty crazy and um very very interesting and yeah there's even another update on design sprint which is called design sprint 2.0 it's done by ag and smart it's uh very I, I don't know if they're yeah they've been they've been here for a while i think they are a design sprint agency particularly focused on conducting design sprints so basically helping people to and organizations to include design sprint methodologies and processes into their everyday lives and um, they created design print 2.0 which is four days so they uh, even uh, made the Monday and Tuesday shorter. So you basically test the idea on, on Thursday already. So yeah, pretty crazy. It's a very, very amazing concept. And I definitely suggest for everybody who's into SARPs to look into it and then use that to launch your first prototype and go speak with users. You know, that's what YC says all this, all that time. Just do something it doesn't have to look great it just has to you know it's just better to have something to show to the user so you can get some feedback and it worked splendid is that what your latest idea has kind of evolved from yes okay so chatbots yeah an interesting technology you know a buzzword but super easy to make if the chatbot is response based right so if you if you create a chatbot that basically has questions and answers already generated and therefore you and you just map certain keywords when the person texts it into the uh, text box it's like you know it can take you like 12 hours and no engineering experience to actually build one but you know some people still don't understand and organizations where they're willing to pay money for innovation and chatbots for them is still i guess innovation so we were thinking okay we should do that you know to be able to earn some money and then do our big idea. And then we realized that, wait, like, should we really, you know, we looked at the, into YC a little bit more. And uh, there was a very great uh, quote from uh, Sam Altman. And he said, you know, if you want to go and build rockets, just go and do it. You know, you don't need to open a uh, hedge fund to earn a million, two or a hundred mil uh, in the next several years to be able to fund your rocket business, you know, just go and do that. So we realized, okay, that's not what we want to do. It was just like to generate some money and then allow us to spin off greater idea. So from there, we went to exploration and the exploration was facilitated by that design sprint methodology. So um, the first thing uh, we came up with was a knowledge management platform. So using natural language processing, NLP, basically allow people to upload any sort of information onto their knowledge platform and be able to ask questions about it that are not in particularly answered in a structured way in that document. So what we do, we basically process all the information, then structure it and even give you a step-by-step guide uh, how to do a certain thing. And um, it worked quite well. You know, we got the demo running. Uh, we had the website up and running as well. So yeah, so that, you know, we realized that it is an enterprise solution and that the sales cycle is extremely long, like probably another, like from six to eight people to, to get to the uh, decision maker. And we're like, do we really want to do that? We found another competitor that's doing quite a similar thing and they're doing it quite well. We're like, okay, Let's uh, let's drop it. Back again to decision to uh, idea generation process. At this time, we already knew how design sprints work much better. And yeah, we came up with actually a uh, content editor 
which allows you to create SEO-friendly content by just typing things in it, right? So uh, if you are, let's say, uh, working in a SERP that has 15 or 20 people and you want to build up your social presence, you want to release a Medium or LinkedIn articles, but you just don't have really who to write those. You ask your people to do it, you know, like your uh, employees. And they're like, okay, yeah, they just write something, you know, in their own words, not using any any keywords or anything. And in the end, you know, is it even uh, reasonable to have it written just just to have it written? So what we thought that like all that uh, content should be infused with uh, marketing stuff. So, you know, well, using the sort of NLP thing still, you know, but just twisted a little. We were trying to inquire uh, Google and like Google keywords, Google analytics in general, and see, you know, what are the main topics that we should be, that the article should have to attract more attention and be so friendly. So worked on that, we're really excited. We came up with a very nice prototype with like from a uh, sketch perspective and we found SEMrush and they were doing it just that what we were doing and literally in the same sort of layout that we had. And it was like, okay, well, we realized, you know, at that moment we have already three ideas shut down and we're like, okay, our morale was a little bit down and we're like, okay, what should we do? We realized that, you know, it's been like three or four months maybe of us working already. We are not really getting anywhere, but what we know that with every single product that we have uh, came up with, all of them being done by market leaders and in a very similar way, you know, that means that our idea generation process and the whole design sprint framework works very well for us. So then we move from that to something more in the into deep fake, uh, where one of my co-founders is actually doing his research on it uh, at Oxford currently. He's doing his PhD there. And um, yeah, so we thought about deep fakes, you know, what we can do with that. And now, you know, and like, there was quite a few ideas there, but basically what we're currently at is recreating and giving back the voice to those that have lost it. So uh, people in particular with disabilities and illnesses like MND or ALS uh, that are uh, just incapable to speak, again, you know, they need to use alternative and augmentative communication tools. So like tablets or is it like a certain, like a panel, you know, where you have sort of sentences programmed and you can press on it and it basically reads it out. So, uh, so yeah, we thought that, okay, we want to give their voice back to them. So what we're currently working on is cloning their voice from the past clips that they have from their family recordings, personal recordings, you know, maybe like a voicemail or something, basically recreating their voice and allowing them to use it for, to, to read text to speech. That sounds incredibly hard, but pretty cool. And for like a really like worthwhile cause. Yeah, it is, uh, you know... There... How's it going? Has it been, like, difficult? Or have you built, like, a prototype yet, or are you still kind of... Yeah, so uh, what we currently have is we have a we have two demo voices that can listen to and they sound quite human-ish, and they have been created from up to 10-minute audios of people speaking. So that's much better than the current industry standard where you need to read 1,600 sentences to sort of synthesize your voice with, with another company, uh, with our competitor. But it's called like voice banking. It's not like really cloning voices, but it's voice banking. But still, you know, the, the concept is the same, basically give back the voice to those that don't have it anymore and yeah the problem is that you know companies like baidu or google they're uh, working quite intensively in the field and you know we don't really have all of the research available of this specific moment in time there are papers from two years ago that are 
describing and giving more uh, information about you know the capabilities and the models that they have created. But yeah, like we are, you know, it's really technically demanding. So we're, you know, like both my co-founders are doing PhD at uh, in computer science at Oxford. So uh, they are uh, they are digging in. They're uh, exploring it. So this is the startup you're currently working on? Yes. Yep. yes. How has it been like with COVID and lockdown? Has it um, helped actually in a way? Yeah, or... I think I think COVID in general, well, depending on what business, of course, you know, what industry we take. But what I really like is most of the time, you know, when even I was working at Turing, all of my communication was going through emails, right? Or like jumping on a call. And for me to arrange something with someone sometimes can take like two, three or four days even. But now with COVID, it's actually, we're speaking about hours, you know, people reply to your emails at basically any time because they're always by their laptops. And uh, the sales process became much more quicker. Organizations and individuals are just replying to you much, much quicker, which is... uh, very good, you know, for, for the current phase we're in, where we're trying to test the idea and, you know, establish some, some strategic partnerships with organizations. And how, what's it like in Lithuania? Like, what's the current state of COVID and coronavirus? Uh, we're handling it super well. I think uh, it's basically a corona-free country in a way. I think we had like 1,000 cases in total, probably a little bit more, and maybe like 60 deaths or 70 deaths, and it was mostly elderly. So yeah, so we have very, very good numbers. We've been on a full lockdown for the past 10 weeks already, if not more. So since I came back on March 15th, we've been on full lockdown. So all of the business were shut down. Only just now they started reopening cafes and allowing people to uh, not to wear masks when they're walking outside. Yeah, I think one of the big differences is as well the healthcare system, so they had to action it quite strictly right i could be well you know actually healthcare in lithuania is i would say it's like very good even you know maybe we don't have the very best doctors but the infrastructure is in place you know we have uh, hospitals we have research centers you know we have very good university for uh, health sciences you know i think on the on on the health science level we're like on top of things definitely so yeah, not not a big problem of health centers, you know. They're taking care of us quite well. Like, you know, they're doing a very good job. Everybody is being super cautious and uh, smart. Like I, myself and most of my friends and my family, we're like quite positively shocked how well the Lithuanian government has dealt with it. Like it's, you know, we're setting an example here, I think even like, yeah. <laughs> pretty pretty good because uh companies in lithuania have already started so those that were in the manufacturing business you know and let's say uh, couldn't uh, perform certain uh, manufacturing procedures anymore because of various reasons they shifted you know they sort of uh, either iterated or even pivoted you know from from making something to making uh, protection shields or how do you call like a hand uh, sanitizer and all that sort of stuff like people are innovative you know and in a smaller team and if you can call Lithuania a smaller team comparing to the big economies like UK or Germany, US, whatever it is, we are much more lean. Like, you know, for us to do things, it's super, super much easier. And, um, you know, you can you can feel that vibe that we are small, we're quick and we adapt super quick. Like, so I'm, I'm very proud of uh, in that sense. That's a nice feeling. <laughs> wish, wish, wish I could... Uh... Uh, same, same. <laughs> yeah. 
I think I've told you so many things, guys. Like, uh, I'm not sure if it's even good, if you're going to like it. <laughs> no, it's all, been, it's all been like really interesting. I don't know, you've kind of told a story. I expect you to become famous one day and then there to be like some like documentary about you and it starts off with like how you're saying fireworks in school. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I kind of, yeah, <laughs> that would be, that would Do be. Do you know how you have like, I don't know, you have like these famous people and it's like, oh, did you know this person, Elon Musk sold whatever, used to sell things when he was young and I'll look at him kind of thing. But... <laughs> yeah. But um, yeah, so yeah, if we start to round off the episode, we end each episode with like some final questions and then some other stuff. So I guess we'll start off with the first question and that is, if you had the chance to make a documentary, what would it be about? It would be very interesting to actually have everything combined of all of the failures that uh, all the successful people uh, had to go through. I think we're uh, we're living in a world where succeeding, uh, winning, and creating something successful from the very first try is sort of expected, you know. And you can rarely see how much effort is being put into into the work behind something you know because you always get the, the the nice picture you get the pretty landing page you know you, you can't see the code behind right and uh, i think that's what we're lacking you know we're just uh, a too perfect society where we don't know that you know we're sort of ashamed to speak about uh, failures i failed so many times and like you know this every single day i fail like probably even more but those failures sort of combine and you know they turn out to be something uh, great at some point and i hope they will help me to develop myself as an individual as an entrepreneur a team member a leader a friend a brother you know or a son you know? and um yeah i think it's just it's just natural for us to to fail and we don't really speak too much about it so what I, what i'm very interested in is actually hearing those fuck ups as I think there is a concept called fuck up nights where people come and they speak uh, the biggest failures that they have they have had in their lives. I would just like to I interview. Think I've heard it actually, yeah, yeah. I think like with Warrior Kickstart, we wanted to do something similar, but we had some problems. But yeah, fuck up, uh, fuck up nights. They're they're quite interesting concept. You know, where you just stand on the stage and you tell them to tell you tell the audience that okay, I it didn't work out for me. I fucked up this. So, um, yeah, I think um, seeing how people fail, you know, would allow us to be less harsh on ourselves and fail more because, you know, the, if you fail more, that means that you tried more. And I think everything comes just through trial and error. And it's like one of the chance that you uh, hit a jackpot straight away. And yeah, I'm pretty sure, you know, well, again, you know, it's not only my uh, personal opinion here i think it's everything that i've read or listened to uh that's what the, the the intelligent people that i think are intelligent and uh the visionaries the world changers are saying that you know don't be afraid to fail what's what's been your biggest fuck up <laughs> was it the diamond no that was uh that was one of the easiest ones i guess let me think i have quite a few so just thinking which one's the worst i think it was uh you know when we went for reload greece a uh, final event and uh, i had to pitch uh, our syrup to uh, to the jury and the audience in general i was underprepared 
if you can say so. Like I was working hard, but I just didn't know how to do things. So I sort of, uh, I had an all-nighter a, a day bef- before the event. So it was like on, I don't know, maybe like 36 hours of being alive, you know, and I went to that event and it was just, it was bad. I forgot some text. The slides didn't work out as they were supposed to work because the designs got uh, messy, you know, because of some format failure. And uh, I couldn't answer some of the questions when it, uh, when it came to, numbers and uh and yeah it was it was bad it was bad i felt so ashamed because i disappointed my team most importantly you know i didn't care about myself it was more about that they were expecting you know something great and all of them said yeah all was good you know all was fine yeah you killed it and i was like man no i didn't i even (laughs) um i and then uh, when I sat down after the pitch, I have a, in one of my notebooks, I don't have it here, I think, maybe at home, I have it written a sort of small one-page uh, comment of myself, you know, that, hey, you know, I failed today. And what I want to do is never disappoint and feel the same ever again in my life. So, you know, that's my biggest learning. And that's where I'm trying to sleep a night before the event and just make sure that I, I'm on top of things that I'm going to present. Oh, wow. That's mad. <laughs> yeah, the next question is, what is one piece of advice you would give to your younger self? <laughs> Try to get as much experience as you can as soon as possible. In Lithuania, there, there was like when I was when I was growing up, there was no thing there, there was no such thing as internships. What are those? Like what are those? <laughs> like we we never knew about it and uh, no one really uh, told us that and you know, it's bad. I was just I was so unprepared when I came to university when people started telling me that, yo, yeah, you need to apply for internships. I was like, what is internship? So yeah, just try to get as much experience as possible. It's it's not really about what exact experience, you know, when you're younger, like let's say 14 to 18 years old. It's not about the actual uh, knowledge that you're going to get out of it. You know, you, it's just that you're going to become more mature. Uh, you're going to understand how this, the business work and you're going to, uh, meet interesting people you already have an advantage you know being in the sector being 14 15 or 16 even though you know there is that age barrier that you need to overstep when you know you're speaking with someone like oh yeah i'm running a business you know i'm like what 16 years old and they're like what like are you joking but like for some of them you know it might be a killer but for others it might be a- an opener you know and they'd be like oh my days you're 16 and you're doing this you know i want to like mentor you or whatever and um, that opens you many avenues. So, uh, yeah, just try to get as much experience as possible. And don't be afraid to work for free. You know, if you have a chance, you live in the parents and uh, your parents can sustain you, just work for free. And at the same time, you'll be able to understand what you like. I think for me, that was one of the biggest failures. Well, yeah, that's my another fuck up, I guess. Accounting <laughs> and finance degree. <laughs> so, um, yeah, just... The whole uh, degree. Maybe. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Third and final question. This is one we ask every guest we have on, and that is what has been your most memorable third wheeling experience? You know, you sent me this question and I was, uh, I put some thought into it. And I was like, you know, I'm, I don't really have too many friends. Not that I spend too much time with people, you know, I'm usually on my own. I'm currently like in Shventoy where there's basically no one around. I'm just on my own, you know, doing my stuff. But I realized when I felt super uncomfortable every single time is when I was in high school and um, 
you know those couples that are making out everywhere they can everywhere they can you know PDA. you go yeah you go into the canteen you know and they're like literally waiting in the queue to get to the food you know they're making out they're like okay man like are you sure you know, like they continue you know they don't really care they go into a lesson just before the lesson you know the, the lesson starts you know they're making out then they sit down and I'm like yeah it was just i didn't like that <laughs> i'm not a fan of you know showing much of your personal life when it comes to that romantic stuff, yeah, that just makes me feel. I am. Uh, I'm pretty sure everybody else around as well feels like that. And then the next section is a call out or a nom- nomination, so you can um, either nominate one or many people to hopefully come onto the third wheel. Yeah, guys, I think if you could get, I don't know actually how to get to that person, but because he's uh, he was one of the he's AJ and Smart AJ basically, Jonathan uh, Courtney. He's an amazing guy, you know. He is the uh, CEO of AJ and Smart. He is the one that has invented that design sprint 2.0. Very smart guy. And yeah, it's all about startups for him. So um, he's very good in creating products, uh, innovation ideas. Very nice guy. Regarding someone who you invite to the podcast and regarding the shout out, I would definitely give a shout out to Turing Society or Turing Studio. Those guys that I worked with, they're amazing. You know, the team uh Benas, thomas and lucas they're uh, doing crazy things and they're gonna change the the tech and education sector in lithuania like quite drastically they're you know making moves so um make sure to follow them you know check them on linkedin uh touring society in general you can follow them i think on linkedin and facebook i don't really have much to shout this week so i guess one of the things i guess this was we spoke a bit about tech so i'll shout out my website if anyone wants to check it out uh see some like projects i've worked on in the past aaroncomedy.co.uk i'll shout it out in previous episodes as well but yeah go check it out if you're interested yeah and mine's is going to be the devlin album by devlin on it's on spotify you can give it a good listen one of my older favorite albums i know this isn't for everyone but if you there's a chance that i could hook you in and then also our games nights our games nights have been actually holding solid numbers and it's been increasing so yeah, if you want to hop onto a game and have fun with a bunch of people, everyone's all fun. It's a bit savage, so yeah, um, don't get offended if you come on. <laughs> it's a good night. Every Friday night, 8.30 p.m. PST is, is roughly the start. Um, recently, we've been a bit um, sloppy with the start times, but music quiz, there's always a music quiz. It's hosted by either Aaron, myself, or Shri right now. And yeah, so it's a fun time. So until I guess everything goes back to normal, we'll probably keep it up. So yeah. Including including you, Jonas, if you ever wanted to join. <laughs> More than welcome. <laughs> of course. Yeah. Awesome. Jonas, what time is it there at the moment? Uh, it's uh, nearly 11. Okay, late one. Well, uh, thank you so much for coming on. No problem. No worries, guys. Thank you for having me. Yes, mate. Was, nice uh, meeting you, man. was very nice. Very nice to meet you, yeah. Uh, I was very flattered, actually, when Aaron reached out. So, yeah, I uh, appreciate that. No, I, I remember you from, like, with some just conversations we've had at uni like even though we've only met like a few times i remember i know we used to i remember i think the last time we actually met was on a bus back yeah, into Leamington. yeah i remember that and, as well yeah i told you i was going to san francisco and we had like a pretty deep conversation yeah. about like future yeah. plans and stuff like that so <laughs> yeah i thought it'd be like yeah interesting talk yeah it was pretty cool. um but yeah thank you thanks again for coming on hope everyone's uh, enjoyed it and learned a bit from it. There was yeah quite a lot to unpack there. <laughs> yeah. And we we will uh, speak to you next week. All right, see ya. Have a good day, everyone. See ya. Bye.